Hi, and welcome to Invisible Not Broken. This is our fourth episode, and I cannot believe this went from an idea to a real-life podcast in about a month. Thank you so much for all the support, and if you've given a review, thank you. I really appreciate it. If you haven't, could you please go over, say very, very nice and lovely things? That'd be wonderful. This week is really special. I'm introducing you to my new co-host, Kira Starr, and we are going to be covering blaming zombie legs, science fiction nerves, food allergies, wheelchair X games, and the many, many meanings of I'm fine. I hope you adore Kyrus as much as I do. He's going to be a very large part of the show and doing some of his own interviews. Until next week, special panel discussion. Be kind, be gentle, and be a badass. So my name is Kyrus Starr. Um, I'm 48 years old. I have a Morton's Neuroma, as well as a dairy allergy, arthritis, and as of uh, last couple weeks, possibly diabetes. I will know in a couple days whether or not I have that. That was a surprising turn. And yeah. How did you get that feeling? I know you knew that you're pre-diabetic. But... I've been pre-diabetic for I think three years now. Um, that my doctor and I've been watching it, but I was always like. The, the line where they say you're pre-diabetic, I was always just barely over that line. So it was like I wasn't really bad. It was just really, you know, you got to start watching this because you're really, you're just over the line where we start to get worried. Um, the reason why I think I might have actually progressed on that is that in the last um, three or four days, well, last couple of weeks, I've noticed that I've had tingling in my right foot, um, loss of sensation. Um, I, because I have foot problems... Um, with the Morton's Neuroma and stuff, I tend to, I tend to get foot massages. I try to at least once a week. And Morton's Neuroma is a new one for me. What, what are the symptoms of that? How does that affect it, you? It, it literally feels like you're walking on a nail at all times. So is that anything it's like a crushed nerve. A crushed nerve. So uh, Morton's Neuroma is a cr- the something's happened that the nerve in your foot is being crushed between the bones usually, such that you end up with what is a. Uh, the neuroma itself is like a swollen spot on the nerve because it's getting damaged constantly. It swells up and stays swelled up. So in my case, where the, the bones were coming together and crushing the nerve, when it started swelling up, that meant even when I was not standing on it, the bones were still pushing in on it because it was so swollen that it was taking up all the space between the bones. That seems like a special kind of cruelty. It kind of is because it means the pain never stopped. And you were just telling me about how um, stubborn your nerve was. Yes. I'm one of the lucky people, because normally people can't regrow nerve tissue. So the treatment for the Morton's neuroma was they went in and they literally went behind, you know, further up from where the swelling was and cut the nerve. Just sliced it completely out, pulled it out. Now, your everyday person, that would have been the end of it because, you know, the nerve is no longer there. But... Evidently, one in a million people can regrow nerve tissue. I'm lucky enough to be one of those one in a million people. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> so they cut the nerve out, and about six months later, the pain came back, and we couldn't figure out why. They did an MRI and found that my nerve had regrown and was, again, being crushed between the bones. So they cut it out a second time thinking, okay, the doctor said, you know, it was just a fluke that this happened. It won't happen again six months later. There I am, right back in there, in pain. It had regrown again. So this time, they cut the nerve, 
drilled a hole in the bone and stubbed the end of the nerve into the bone, thinking that would stop it. Because, you know, now there's no end for it to grow from. Nope. It grew in a loop. It grew down, basically, like, it, where, it, where it was stubbed in, it just created this loop, and the whole loop grew down. So now you had a down and a back of the nerve, so it's now twice as thick as normal, which means when it got started getting crushed, it was now two nerve, two places on the nerve that were being hurt. Um, and this was just my reality for, God, five years, because I was going back to school, I didn't have insurance, there was no way to get it taken care of. Um, so I just dealt with it, and I dealt with the pain, and then when I started having, when I had a job and had insurance again, I went in, and the doctor said, you know, this is just going to keep happening, what we need to do, and this is a whole new doctor I've had to explain all of this to. And that almost takes, like, two sessions with the doctor oh, to get through. Four. Oh, God. It took four sessions, because the first time I saw him, he's like, well, let's try this, I'm like, I've already done this, he's like, yeah, but let's try it, oh, okay, so finally he, you know... Did the, did the MRI and saw what I already knew was wrong. And he's like, this is insane. This never happens. I'm like, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> there is a little irony that you are a fantasy writer and <laughs> your body decides to do these science fiction-y things yeah, like for regrow real. nerves. There's a little irony. <laughs> yeah, kind <laughs> of. A little bit in the universe. <laughs> so um, he finally just did this thing where they went and they cut the tendon that holds your foot basically together. Mm -hmm. It runs along the bottom of the foot. And allowed my foot to just naturally spread as much as it wanted to so that those bones aren't crushing the nerve anymore. I still have a doubled up nerve in there, but now the bones aren't crushing anymore. Unless I'm wearing too tight of shoes. Which mainly comes into play um, long plane rides or mm -hmm. long car rides when your feet swell and you're wearing shoes. Because your feet start to swell, there's no place for them to go because the shoes, you know, limit it. And then it starts to put pressure on the nerve, then it starts to hurt. And one of the other things I want to talk to you about, because I was so ignorant about dairy allergies. Oh. And I feel, so, I've always tried to, like, keep it in mind whenever I make anything for when you and your your husband's come over. But I, I didn't realize how severe it was for you. And I didn't know it could be that severe. Do you want to, like, so, in the kindest of, like, gentlest <laughs> terms if people are listening while eating. But I, I didn't realize it could be that so, bad. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny because, and I mentioned this in the, in the questionnaire you gave me. That, you know, I, I have a lot of times been out and people are like, oh, yeah, I have a dairy allergy, too, but, you know, I go ahead and eat ice cream. I'm like, no, if you actually had, <laughs> you have a mild lactose intolerance. If you actually had a dairy allergy like I do, you would not even think about ever taking a bite of anything that contains dairy. Um, I didn't realize how bad, um, how pervasive, I should say, dairy was until we had a game night, board games, and we had a bunch of friends over, and... You know, I, I, I had known for a couple of years at that point that I had a dairy allergy, and it was getting progressively worse. And we're sitting there, and of course, you know, we've got the tray out of crackers and lunch meats and cheese. And I'm avoiding the cheese, thinking, okay, you know, no cheese, but, you know, I can still have the crackers. I can still have, you know, the salami and pepperoni and stuff like this that I had out. And after we'd been playing games for about an hour... I suddenly had to run to the bathroom. My body said, no, 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 something's <laughs> wrong. You go now. So when I came back, I'm like, what the heck's wrong with me? Why did that happen? Because usually when I have dairy, and I'm sorry for anybody who's eating, um, within an hour, hour and a half of eating something with dairy, I have explosive diarrhea that is uncontrollable. I... If I can't get to the bathroom, I'm going to have an accident. There's there's no stopping it. And, like, how many days or hours do you have, like, this 
huge, like, awful, embarrassing stomach issue. So, if I have just a little bit of dairy, I may have two or three episodes. If I have too much, it can... I I have... My, my dear partners are wonderful. Because this got to be so bad that there were times that I was going 15 to 18 times in one day. Which precludes you from doing anything else outside of the house. Correct. And it also means that the things you don't think about, which is just the cleanup from that, means by the end of the day, you have wiped yourself raw. So, like, that's what I was saying, is they were so wonderful, and we now have the Japanese bidet toilets in our house so that can minimize the amount of damage by the end of the day when those episodes hit. But anyway, back to my story about the... Um, we had the Everyday Over Games, I got sick, I couldn't figure out why. And I went and I grabbed the package, and the potato chips... Or barbecue. Barbecue, anything, almost invariably has dairy in it. Now I know. I would never have even thought. Barbecue sauce, barbecue flavor on chips, anything. So that was one. Also, pepperoni salami, both made from a lactose starter base. So anybody with a dairy allergy, you cannot eat salami, you cannot eat pepperoni. Because they're made from (laughs) lactose starter base. I'm so surprised. I had no clue. So here I am, I'm thinking I'm eating chips, I'm eating, you know, meat. I'm not eating dairy. In both cases, I was wrong. You know, and that's um, one of the things I think I touched on one of the questions, which is how dangerous is is your um, illness because it's invisible? And when you have allergies, no one knows what your allergies are, but it can go from you staying at home for days on end to we know people who have fatal allergies. Well, and the thing is, is that, you know, I've never had a high enough level exposure since it's gotten really bad, but... Um, to be like life threatening, but I do know the one time I had a lot because of a mistake someone made when we went out to eat and I said, you know, I have a dairy allergy and then they cooked my food and they cooked my steak in butter and then covered it in butter, but it was all melted and I couldn't see it by the time I got it. And so I got sick the next, later that night I broke out in hives. So it has gotten far enough, you know, when I have a lot to break me out in hives. So, yes, if I had gone even further, like if I had like a bowl of ice cream, I'm sure that could send me into anaphylactic shock. And that um, story that just went viral of the kid at the movie theater who was like, oh, they order Diet Cokes, those skinny girls, and I put regular mm-hmm. Coke in. And, like, th- that's not... You are fucking with people's lives. Yeah. You don't know who's diabetic. You and, don't and, know. So when someone looks at, like, an allergy, and they're like, oh, he's not really... Well, yeah, because I mean, you have people that say, like like I said, you know, you have people that say, oh, I'm lactose intolerant, but I eat a bowl of ice cream anyway. Mm-hmm. People that have either mild things or they just don't like something, so they say they have an allergy, create this atmosphere where the servers, the cooks, think that everybody's making it up. Um, one of the stories I, re- I detailed in my questionnaire was... And the questionnaire will be published in the blog, so you'll be able to read everything here as and I are one of the question, about. One of the things I answered on the questionnaire was... We went out to eat one time at a restaurant, and I ordered a hamburger. They brought me a cheeseburger, and I said, I can't eat this. And the waiter and I had this back and forth about it, and like, well, you got cheese for free, because I'm not charging you for it. Don't worry about it. We're not charging you for it. Like, the whole issue I was making was that it was costing me more money. And I'm like, no, I can't eat this. I'm allergic to dairy. I told you this when I placed my order. So they took it back into the kitchen, were gone a few minutes, came back out, and it was very clear that all they had done is scrape the cheese off of it. Oh, my gosh. Which, you know... And you were clear with them that you had an actual allergy. I I was very clear, both when I ordered it and when I sent it back. That is frightening. And so they scraped it off, and I'm like, I still can't eat this. 
you know, you can't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not still on there. You know, it was on the bread, it was on the meat. It's still there, yeah. whether you scraped it off or not. You know, I don't care if you took a, a you know, a, a, pa- a pad and like <laughs> washed it in this under the water in the sink or something. You know, it's still there. And, you know, so I sent it back again and they were all grumpy and angry with me. And I'm like, I don't want to get sick. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it was, you know, again, I feel like it's a lot of people that pretend to have, you know, oh, I don't like this. So I say I'm allergic to it. Like when I go out, okay, good example. I don't like beans. And so when I go out to Mexican restaurants, I will ask for my food with no beans and no cheese. And I tell them, I don't like beans. I'm allergic to cheese. So that, you know, if they accidentally get beans on something, oh, I don't like it, but it's fine. Whereas if they actually accidentally get cheese on it, I'm going to send it back. Yes. So for you, when did, um, you have a, a lot of issues. Um, yes. <laughs> and so many others. <laughs> this is why we get along so well. Um, at what point in your life did things become debilitating or were you always sick? Um, so the Morton's neuroma started when I was working 10 hours a day as a cable guy and I was on my feet all the time. Um, and I had, we got new boots. The new boots were British and so were narrower and that's what caused the neuroma in the first place. So the feet started at 35. About 35. And it made it harder and harder to get around and I was like, I be, it's kind of a catch-22 that when it's harder and harder to walk, you start putting on weight, which makes it even more painful mm. and it's just a, a feedback loop that's bad. And I kept powering through the hurt, trying to stay active, trying to keep the weight off. Um, so that's when that started. Um, I just have a quick little tangent to run off on that okay. one. Because you're the first man I've interviewed on the series. Yes. And um, I've interviewed a lot of women. And when it comes to weight and women and doctors, I know that the first thing they do is they go, okay, so all these symptoms will get so much better, so let's work on your weight and let's ignore everything yep. else. Is that the same for men? Yep. As a matter of fact, when I tore my, um, uh, oh, what's the name of it? In my knee. Meniscus? Tore my meniscus in my knee. The doctor that I had immediately said, well, it's because you're so, you're so heavy, which I'm a little over 300 pounds, but I'm also 6'2", so I'm, I don't look like I'm super fat. Um, and I'm like, Yes, I know I'm overweight, and you know it's a catch twenty two when I have these foot problems and on my knee, and I've had I've had both ankles rebuilt as well, because of I've, I had weak ankles as a kid, and it was getting progressively worse where I could walk down the street and my ankle would just decide to roll and I'd have a sprained ankle. And that was when you were a kid. Like, well, I, that was all my life. I yeah, had that, okay. and so about two thousand six, I had both ankles rebuilt because wow. the doctor said that. You know, they, they could get donor tendons and make it so that I would never have that problem of rolled ankles again. And he's right. I've never had a problem with it since then. That's really cool. <laughs> it is. But, you know, it, it gives me the good example, a good excuse when I, you know, am pissed at somebody. I can accidentally kick them and say, oh, it was the zombie zombie <laughs> tendon. It's a dead person's tendon in my ankle. They kicked you, you not me. You have zombie feet. I do. It's <laughs> <That's> awesome. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, um, going to this knee doctor, uh, progress, you know, because my knee has never really healed correctly. And I have to keep going back for shots and stuff like this. And I um, complained about the doctor because he always led with, you know, if you'd lose some weight, you wouldn't have these problems. And I finally told one of the administrators there that I liked the doctor, except his bedside manner was about the about equivalent to Dr. Kevorkian. Hmm. I said, you know, he has no... no um, 
tact whatsoever because when you lead every conversation with you need to lose weight, you know, I get tired of talking to you and I don't talk to you and I don't, you know, that doesn't help me get better. That doesn't help anything. Yeah. And so now they've got me seeing some new guy there that's actually been, we get along great. He's super sweet, super nice. And when I say, hey, this hurts, he actually like, what's, you know, looks at me and like what's causing it rather than, oh, it's got to be your weight. Mm-hmm. So... Because, of course, skinny people never, ever get right. sick. They never try. <laughs> that just seems so frustrating. Yeah. I'm lucky that my regular doctor doesn't do that, but but the knee doctor did. Um, I was in the middle of telling a story about something. And I I'm so sorry. Out. I'm really good at getting everyone off That's track. That's okay. We were talking um, about when you were younger and how this, who you were before you started oh, um, the debilitating. The, you, you were talking about when I first became... Mm-hmm. You were talking about cable guy. And yeah, so that's, how, that's when the Nor- Morton's neuroma started. The dairy allergy, um, I had always been slightly lactose intolerant, where like if I had a big bowl of ice cream, I might be gassy the next day. But when I, right around the time I turned 40, I had a pretty severe sinus infection. And my doctor sent me to a specialist because the regular antibiotics just didn't seem to be making it go away. So the specialist that you're nose throat guy put me on seven days of antibiotics, four days off, seven days of antibiotics, four days off, seven days of antibiotics. So 21 days of antibiotics with two four-day off in between. Suddenly after that, I could not have dairy whatsoever. Well, I started getting sick all the time, and I couldn't figure out why. (laughs) And I finally read up on the internet about the elimination diet, where you basically go down to, like, just um, rice and something, like, you know, and then you add things back in until you figure out what's triggering you. And that's how I found that I was lactose intolerant. And it's been ever since that seven-day, seven-day, seven-day of antibiotics that suddenly... I can't have dairy anymore. I just knocked all of the good bacteria that can process it. I think, yeah, that it killed off all that. And I've actually, over the years, done some more research on it. And they think, and this could change by the time you read this, you hear this or read this, <laughs> but the last I read is they think that our one of the functions of our appendix is it holds a reservoir of all of our good bacteria, good, um, biome bacteria. Oh my God. And that whenever like you know, people would get dysentery, whatever, and it would clean their entire system out, that that would repopulate everything. But when I was 26, my appendix ruptured. Oh. So I don't have an appendix anymore. And so when wow. I had this seven day, seven day, seven day, it wiped that out. And suddenly now I can't process it anymore at all. Because I, irony of ironies, you know, me being dairy allergic, my first job was milking my neighbor's cows. <laughs> Where you grew up. I grew up in small town, Indiana. And my first job was milking my neighbor's cows. So, you know, I grew up right next to a dairy farm. So, for you, you're really uh, fortunate that your job does not require you to be anywhere in particular. You write amazing fantasy novels. Or do you call it science fiction or do you call it fantasy? Um, Sci-fi fantasy. I I kind of throw the whole lump it all in together. Because some of the stuff we write is very much more sci-fi. Some of it is much more fantasy. So, so you don't have to actually travel or go to an office. But I did. I mean, but before I worked, I mean, I've only been writing for like two years. So before that, um, I worked in San Francisco because what I'm trained as is a tech writer. I wrote help documentation for software and I was working at a place in San Francisco. So I would go to BART every morning, BART into the city, transfer to Muni, Muni over there, and then walk the five blocks uphill to my office on those feet. And, you know, we had a three-story building that I was constantly going up and down stairs to get between levels to go to meetings, stuff like this. And I was going in five days a week. Were you finding that people were... Did you tell other people at your office Mm -hmm. what was going on? Oh, yeah. Were they 
compassionate or did it affect some your work? Were, some were, some weren't. And it did affect my work in some ways because um, we did a lot of things outside the office. Um, there wasn't really, because of the area we were located in Soma, there wasn't a whole lot to, for lunch nearby. And so people would routinely, you know, go for lunch together and, you know, we'd be walking out to go to lunch and I'm thinking we're going to go someplace that's two or three blocks away and, oh, we don't want to go there. And there was one day that we walked 28 blocks. Oh my God. Total. Between, between when we left the office and actually got back to the office. After about the 10th block, I was in agony and I was, you know, lagging further and further behind everybody. And at a certain point, you know... Um, they stopped and let me catch up and it was, a, it was like mostly women that I worked with that day that we were out with. And, you know, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, you know, y'all know I have foot problems and this, you know, when we left and I agreed to go to lunch with you guys, you were like, oh, we're going to go here. And then you decided not to go there because it was busy. And then we went here and we just kept walking. And I said, this is way too much for me. Mm-hmm. And I was going to go back to the office and they're like, oh, well, we're, where we're going is only another block and a half. I'm like, okay. Then I can sit down. And so I went there and I sat down. And then when we started back, something, I forget what happened, but something happened and we started uh, detouring over to someone else's house because, like, something happened with their kid or whatever. And I finally ended up calling an Uber and going back because I couldn't. I couldn't keep up with them. And, you know, at one point in time, they were two blocks ahead of me. And they could see me back there. And they finally finally stopped when they realized how far ahead of me they were because I called them and said... Um, you do realize that I'm, like, two blocks back, right? <laughs> when you have to call to let people know when you're on the same block area, it seems like there almost just needs to be another word for pain, because I think people outside of sick world think they have a grasp on what pain feels like. And with neuropathy, um, at least that's the one thing I do know, I don't think they have a grasp on every step being agony. So mm-hmm. if you're asking someone to walk across a room, you might as well ask them to climb Mount Everest, like, there's a difference. When 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 David and I first got together, um, one of the, I think it was first year we were together, we went to Gay Days at Disneyland. And there was, um, he wanted to ride a particular ride. I think it was the Finding Nemo that was the one that goes underwater and all this. And I said, let's, when we, so we walked in the park, I said, let's go over and get in line because that's the one they said the line always gets really long. And the people we were with wanted to go do Magic Mountain and all this other stuff first. I'm like, if we do that, by the time we get over, that's going to be a hellaciously long line. That's going to be really hard for me to stand there. And he's like, you'll be fine. How nice for him to know how your body would react. (laughs) And so, you know, by the time we got over there, the little placard showing said it was an hour and a half wait in line. And one of the worst things for me with my feet is standing still on concrete. Mm. Because it... There's no relief. When I'm walking, it's pressure and then not. Pressure, then not. Even if it's, you know, you're still putting pressure on it, but it's not constant. But standing still on concrete, like standing in a long line, is agony. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I actually put in my, my notes there that, you know, the two worst things for me are walking on uneven ground because it changes where the pressure's at and standing on concrete. But I can walk on grass, uneven grass, for hours more than I can walk, you know, than I can stand in line for 30 minutes on concrete. And the problem is, is with invisible illness, no one would look at you and go, oh my God, please help this guy. Like, you look like the guy you would ask to help you move. Like, yeah. And Which I have done many, many times for I, friends. I'm sure you have. But, you know, so... Um, so no one would rush up and think, oh my gosh, sir, here's a, here's a wheelchair, here's a right. seat, here's, here's so your pass. As we stood in line, 
because it was one thing he wanted to ride more than anything else. As we stood in line, the longer we stood there, I was sweating really bad, even though it wasn't that hot out. This was in October, and I'm sweating like crazy because it hurts so bad that I am my body is having a reaction. And he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I told you this is going to hurt. And I finally just started sitting on the ground and getting up and moving every, you know, letting the line get ahead of me and then moving forward with him. And he couldn't figure out why I was doing it. And it took me years, literally years, to get him to fully understand, you know, I may be able to walk for an hour today. I can only walk for half an hour or maybe 10 minutes tomorrow because how bad it is that day when I get up, you know, or how bad I, how much I did yesterday or whatever other factor comes into it. And how do you think you've been able to help him get more understanding about this? The, honestly, the one thing that finally kind of was the ding, ding, ding moment was showing him the theory of spoons. Spoons, yes. Because the guys, neither one understood how I could be good one day and not the next. And then when I start talking about spoons and like, okay, you know, I have 10 spoons for today. Doing this uses this many, this, this many, this, this many. You know, they start seeing quickly how, like, how do you not run out of spoons by the end of the day? I'm like, exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, you can borrow from tomorrow, but then tomorrow you're going to pay the price for that. Maybe even the next day, because depending on how bad you push it over, you may be hurting for days on end afterwards. I said, so yes, like when we go on vacation and we decide to walk, you know, 15 miles in one day in Rome, I can do that. <laughs> the next day, but... I'm not doing jack shit. <laughs> You guys are waiting on me the next day. <laughs> um, you know, and we went to Disneyland one year, and they just pushed me around in a wheelchair all day, because I just, the first day I did fine. The second day, nope, they were pushing me in a wheelchair. And I know full well, I'm going to Disney, um, not next week, but the week after. I'm taking my daughter and her boyfriend to Disneyland. And I already warned them. I said, you know, I may be okay on the first day, but the second day, you guys are probably going to be pushing me in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, we can do that. So the spin theory really helped them, the guys visualize this. Yes, and and it's gotten to the point now where when we're out doing stuff, David or Scott will turn to me and go, how's your spoon level? And do you want to explain what the spoon theory is? So the spoon theory, uh, and I forget what the name of the woman is that came up with it. She was, I do too, but she's awesome. She was. I will put it in the links. I will put it in the notes. She was um, out with friends at a diner and trying to explain what it's like to live with a, a, you know, a chronic illness like this. Um, that's hard to see and she said she just grabbed what she had on hand which was the spoons from the nearby tables and she goes okay you start the day with 10 spoons and you know getting up and getting a shower may take one spoon and you know uh straightening up the house may take two spoons and all this and you know you can see that by the time you hit lunch sometimes you're out of spoons mm -hmm. or before you even leave the house depending on your yeah, energy level <laughs> well, and depending on, yeah depending on your level and you can and she's like but i've seen you do more than that in one day she goes yeah because some days I have stuff that just has to be done, so I push through it. But what I'm doing is borrowing spoons from tomorrow that, you know, for every one that... She, I think she said something like, for every one that I borrow from t tomorrow, gives me one for today, but it may cost me two tomorrow. You know, so... Or some days you just wake up inexplicably with a drawer full of happy spoons, and that's yes. awesome. Yes, It's always different amounts of spoons you get, depending on, on what you've done the day before, or even just your body being entertaining. Yes. Well, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, you got a good night's sleep for a change, whatever, or, you know, you had a bad night's sleep. Instead of waking up with 10 spoons, you wake up with five. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's not consistent, sadly. <laughs> yes. There's, it's very hard to make long-term plans. Yes. 
And yet. (laughs) (laughs) And yet we persist. (laughs) Yes. And yet, life actually demands that we make long-term plans a lot. (laughs) Which um, means we need to have very kind, considerate people in our lives. Mm Mm-hmm. So, one of the things I'm always curious about is what life hacks you have. Like, for me, I like lift when I fall down and can't keep going in a city, or I love TaskRabbit to finish things that I can't lift. Um, Uber has been great for me for that, um, for as far as getting around. Um, other things that, um, I, I actually mentioned something other, and I can't now what, remember now what I put down. Um, yeah, walking stool. Is that like a cane that turns into a stool? No, it's actually, um, and I actually have a link in there, which you can include. I will totally include this. Um, it's a tripod stool that it folds down and collapses in such a way that it becomes like almost like a stick in a little backpack that you just throw on your back. So like when we go, when we went to Rome, I took it, I carried it on my back. Whenever we had to stand, like we were at the Vatican and we had to stand for long periods of time, I popped it out of my backpack, opened it up, pulled the legs down so that it's tall enough because it's, it's adjustable height and just, it's a little tripod stool you sit on. That's fantastic. And, you know, when you're ready to move on, if you're not going very far, I would just pick it up and fold it closed and carry it with me and then sit back down. If we were going to be walking for a bit, I would collapse it back down, throw it back in the backpack and keep going. And it's the one I have um, that's in the links there is uh, actually what's called a bariatric one, which bariatric means it's designed to hold more weight. Okay. Because I'm over 300 pounds. Anything under 300 pounds, you can use just about any of them that are out there. Over 300, you have to use one that's considered bariatric. And it just means that it's made of a stronger material for people that are... It can usually hold up to 500 pounds. So it's anybody from 300 to 500. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, same with, you know, Orion. Her, um, She has a, one of those roll, rolling things with a seat. And Orion is Kira's writing partner. My writing partner, yes. I was actually going to say that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, she has to, because she's a larger woman, she needs... Her roller thing had to be at a bariatric because it had to be able... She's also over 300. And I always um, think about, this is two separate realities, like Alice in Wonderland. You fall down the rabbit hole and there's sick world that you're in. And there's, there's England up here, the nice, healthy world. And it's very different. It's its own vocabulary and feelings. Mm-hmm. What do you think that the people in healthy world, what would you want them to know about your daily life? And what could happen in either city planning or other people's attitudes to make your moving through the world easier? Um, there was a lot of questions there. Let me see if I Let can... Let me um, start again. <laughs> <laughs> that was two questions run together. That was um, like three run together. <laughs> oh, I'm getting, I'm getting quick. <laughs> this is when I know it's time to take pain pills. Um, so for these two separate areas, what would you want someone to know who's healthy about your daily life? That even when I say, especially when I say I'm fine, it usually means I'm hurting, but I'm managing. Mm. Fine equals I'm hurting, but I'm managing. Yeah. Not fine means I'm hurting and I'm no longer managing. That's a really important distinction because I think people in in healthy world think I'm fine means hey we're good. Right. It's fine. It's great. Yes. Um, and yeah. and I think I think that's one of the things that I've had to realize in my own vocabulary and convey it to my partners of fine means I'm hurting, I'm managing. Because there, honestly, there's never a time when I'm not hurting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually cover that in there. It's like, a good an aver- a good day for me is pain level two. Okay. An average day is a pain level four. A bad day is a pain level nine. Yep. And, you know, the thing you have to realize there is, 
That means on my best day, mm -hmm. I'm still hurting at a level two. Mm -hmm. And that's also your pain scale, not a yes. healthy person's pain scale. Because when you've been chronically in pain for a long time, it's a very different scale. Yes. And I have a very high tolerance for pain, as was evidenced when my appendix ruptured. And I drove myself to the hospital and walked in. Of course you did. <laughs> and the lady behind the counter says... There's no way your appendix just ruptured. You would not be standing here. You would not have come in on your own power. You would have been here in an ambulance. I'm like, it did. I actually felt it explode. I was awake when it happened. And she's like, you would be so doubled over in pain. I'm like, it hurts. I'm dealing. Mm -hmm. And this is before I had any of my chronic issues. Yeah. You know, I've always had a high tolerance for pain. So, you know, and it turned out that the reason why they my pain didn't localize like they thought it should was instead of a three-inch appendix, I had an eight-inch appendix that went all the way across to the other side of my body. See, your body is totally set with you being a sci-fi fantasy writer. I know, right? <laughs> an eight-inch appendix. It's supposed to be three <laughs> inches. It's like right here. Nope, it was you know, all the way over here. You are going to do Sankuris. You go all the way for it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're going to get married. You really get married. True. I have two husbands. <laughs> You're going to... Yeah. It is... Um... <laughs> You're actually the second person I've talked to, um, aside from also just myself, that been put in almost fatal situations because mm -hmm. doctors expect your pain level to be what they think your pain level should be. And those of us with high pain thresholds, we don't present the proper expression and vocalization. <laughs> we can be in trouble because we get yeah. sent home. Yeah, well, so with my appendix, I went in two days before it ruptured, saw one of my doctor's assist, uh, associates. He poked and prodded and said I had gas and sent me home. I went back the next day, talked to my own doctor, my regular doctor, and he poked and prodded, drew blood. My white blood cell count was way elevated. And he said, oh, you've got the new flu going around, go home. I was awake all night. I didn't go to sleep because I was in so much pain. At 4 a.m., I literally felt my appendix rupture. I woke up my um, ex, who I was still living with, and said, I need to go to the hospital. And he was still asleep, so I got him moving. I drove myself. He was in the passenger seat because he was still asleep. <laughs> I drove myself down to the hospital, got in, well, I pulled up in front, I got out, and he moved, the, he parked the car, he was awake enough by then to park the car. I went in, told the lady at the front desk, at the, at the emergency room desk, that my appendix director, I need to see a doctor, She's like, and that's when she argued and said, no, honey, it couldn't have been because she wouldn't be sitting in front of me like this. I argued and argued, so finally they let me go back into ER. The attending doctor that night was the same assistant who had told, or same associate who had told me I had gas. Because it's a small, it was a small town. And he poked and prodded and said, you know, it's, it's nothing. Left and did four non-critical hernia operations while I sat there in the ER with a ruptured appendix. I got to the ER at 4.15 in the morning. My ex had to go to work at 9, so Orion actually came down and sat with me because I didn't want to be alone. And I told her, I said, if I pass out, if my vitals start to dip at all, you scream, you yell, you get them in here because they're not believing me. So my vitals, I passed out, my vitals dropped, she screamed and yelled, they came in, I started to code on the right there in ER, they rushed me into surgery, and that's when they found out instead of a three-inch appendix, I had an eight-inch appendix. So what could have been an outpatient surgery had they caught it the two days before when I went in, which when I went in, I told them I thought it was my mm -hmm. appendix. I used to be an EMT. Yeah. So I knew what was wrong with me. They didn't believe me. So 
what could have been an outpatient surgery in and out and I was fine ended up being I was in the hospital for five days I had an open wound where I had to lay on my lay on my side and sleep with excuse me lay on my side with um uh women's maxi pads maxi pads with an open hole with maxi pads to keep letting my body drain because I was still draining all the, the toxin and when I a month later when I started seeing a new doctor because I was tired of these people not listening to me that doctor, when I told him this whole story, was like, you're lucky to be alive. You realize, mm-hmm. realize that, right? The only thing that saved you is because you're such a big guy. Because if you had been a smaller person, that amount of toxin, that had, eight inch banks, the amount of toxin that had to have dropped into your system would have killed anyone else. Yeah. In the six hours you sat in the ER. <sighs> Frustration. Yes. Uh, you have um, one of my favorite pet peeves on here uh, with what would make moving in this world easier for you um it's because i use a wheelchair um i well i used to use it more often until i realized how dangerous it is because of this i will let you cover what you think would be better i don't remember what i wrote now Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's been a lot of things i mean you were talking about uneven sidewalks and pavements and that's my uh not only pet peeve but i've i've been dumped out of wheelchairs because of it me too yay when i had when i had my ankles rebuilt I had to go to um, the dentist because I already had a dentist appointment set up. And um, Scott took me to the dentist and he was getting the car and I was like trying to wheel myself across the street. And the the street there in Oakland is very, has a very strong rise in the middle. Mm-hmm. And the cutout for the ramp, quote unquote ramp for wheelchairs, <laughs> is a very sharp point down and then back up. I call it X Games. And so I started down, you know, the road, like I said, had a hump. And I started down the far side of the hump, and it got away from me, and I just started rolling really fast. I hit that bottom of that thing where the ramp was, and it mm-hmm. just threw me. And I was holding on to my iPad at the time. No! I landed on my iPad and shattered it, which I'd only had, like, two months. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I feel bad about this in a lot of ways, but I went into the... Uh, Apple Store in the wheelchair. I fell out of my wheelchair, and they gave me a new one. You know, I, I should try that with my phone. <laughs> it will probably work because if you say that you were in your, you were, you know, dumped out of your wheelchair, they're more than likely going to take pity on you. Possibly, but my phone looks like it got hit by an atomic bomb. <laughs> I fell on mine. Okay. I mean, my iPad. I literally my entire because it was I had it tucked into the side, and it, my hip came down on it, so it was shattered. So, how has your invisible illnesses affected your relationships? Um, Family, parents, partners, dating, friends? My previous relationship prior to the guys um, was when I started having dairy issues, you know, with like, I would, if I ate dairy, I would get gassy. And they used to tease me mercilessly about being gassy, you know, coming up with nicknames for me and stuff like this. And it was like, you know, at the time I didn't know what was causing it. And I'm like, I don't know why this happens. I don't like this. Um, you know, please don't keep making fun of me because I don't like the fact that I'm constantly bloated and gassy, you know, any more than you do, you know. And the same person also used to, you know, when my first, first when I first started having the foot surgeries and all this, um, the house I live owned and I still own in Seattle has two steps to get down. Would refuse to help me get up and down the steps. You know, you can do it. Come on, really? This is in the winter when it was icy. And I'm having to hobble down the steps wow. on crutches, on ice. 
So, that, there's a good reason why we're not alone together. <laughs> People show you who they are, so it's really good when you listen. Um, my mother. So, um, my mother uh, came out for Thanksgiving four or five years ago now. And she really hasn't been around me since I've been lactose with a dairy allergy and all this. But I told her umpteen times on the phone. So they came out and she had some something that she had made. She pulled it out of a Tupperware thing she'd made for their trip because they drove out from Florida. And she goes, here, try this. I'm like, what's in it? <laughs> and she's, just try it. I said, what's in it? Would you just try it? I swear. I'm like, I have, I'm allergic to dairy. Remember? Is there any dairy in it? No, there's not. Oh, wait a minute. It's caramel. Yes, it's mostly butter. I'm like, yes. <laughs> this is why I asked. I wasn't asking because I was being picky. I was asking because I'm trying to make sure that I don't get something that's going to make me sick. And she's like, well, you could have just said something. I'm like, I did. I asked what was in it. <laughs> and for what you have, eating is such a social thing. Like, almost all of our social activities revolve around eating and... That's really difficult, and there's a whole realm of things you cannot have even around. So, yeah, going to um, parties at people's houses, um, almost invariably, I can't eat anything once I get there. Because either they made they, they bought it at the store, so they don't know what's in it, mm-hmm. or they made it, oh yeah, it has butter in it, or oh yeah, it has milk in it. Or, you know, one of those two things, or it's... Um, like, I didn't make it, I don't know what's in it, or, you know, oh yes, it does have this in it. So then, you know, we get to the party, and David and Scott are noshing all night long, and they're not hungry, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, I'm starving. Well, you guys had such a great story about Paris. Oh, God. I mean, like, the city <laughs> of cheese and cream. <laughs> Paris is the land of dairy. Everything has butter or cream in it. And so we had gone to Paris for vacation, and Scott went out every morning went to the patisserie, and came back with just a plate full of croissants and pastries that are just dripping <laughs> with, you know, butter and, and you know, toppings and stuff like this. And I'm like, those look so yummy. And he would bring me a meringue. Which, if you don't know what a meringue is, it's basically solid cotton candy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's sugar. It's sugar and egg whites and vanilla. And yes. if you make it a certain way, it's just, a, it's crumble. Yeah, I mean, if you make it a certain way, they're they're like soft and chewy inside. Mm-hmm. But if you make it another way, they are just... Sugar held together by molecules holding hands. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's what these were. These were the French style. They are very hard. And when they when you bite into them, they, they're basically like... Dust. Dust. <laughs> it's sawdust inside. And so without something to drink with them... It's like it absorbs all the moisture out of your mouth and suddenly you have completely dry mouth and you can't keep eating it. And, you know, I couldn't have milk, which is what they were drinking. And David, sweet David, spent an hour going from store to store till he found almond milk for me. Oh, such a good boy. But, you know, even then it's like, you know, I've got this, I've got like a half gallon of almond milk to eat these big, I mean, these things were bigger than my fist. <laughs> Which are big. I mean, seriously, he is a bear. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big guy. They're, they're bigger than my fist, and they would bring me one of them, and it's like, you know, you're, you each have, like, three different kinds of pastries. I have this one flavor of this one thing that is, when I bite into it, turns into dust in my mouth that I have to drink something with 
or I might as well be eating the Sahara Desert. And it was like, it was depressing. And, you know, when I brought it up, the guys were like, well, we're trying. I'm like, I understand that you're trying. <laughs> that doesn't make it any less frustrating or upsetting that you guys are having all these lovely po- these mm. lovely pastries, and I'm eating this. <laughs> it tastes great. Don't get me wrong. But it's not these rich, juicy pastries. Yeah. <laughs> they are beautiful, too. They're art Oh, forms. God, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, I, the guys know I'm not a big fan of going back to, to Paris. So, for you... Oh, um, and and on a related note, when we were in Italy, on vacation, we were were in Venice, and every place we went in Venice was great. I had no trouble eating anywhere. Then we went to the island of Murano, which is where all the Murano glass Mm -hmm. making is at, and we sat down in a restaurant, and I'm like, okay, you know, I want to order spaghetti meatballs, figuring it's a safe thing to have. And I ask about the dairy, and they're like, oh, no, we put butter in our sauce. Every place we went on that island put it, put butter in their sauce. You, they couldn't take it out because it was already mm-hmm. in the sauce. Already there. So, you know, four times we sat down at the restaurant because I asked, I said, I have a da- I, before we sat down, I said, I have a dairy allergy. Can, is there something I can order? Sure. I sat down and we start talking. Nope, nope, nope. Can't have this. I'm like, so you said you did. What, what can I eat? <laughs> you put butter on your fish. You put butter in all your pasta sauces. What can I eat? Yeah. Oh, well, we've got these breads. I'm like, let me guess. Are the breads made with butter? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, there's, those seem like a simple thing. You put butter in it, but you just blew my mind with the barbecue sauce. Oh, yeah. And that seems like another issue for when you go to people's houses, because I would have absolutely served you something with barbecue sauce, thinking I was being good. Mm-hmm. I, I've had plenty of people, you know, like, that know that I have a dairy allergy that'll, like, oh, I'm trying to take care of this for you, and they'll um, do something and not think about it. You know, one person made something and didn't think about the fact that it had butter in it. Yeah. They, I mean, she was I put half a stick of butter in it didn't even think about it. That's dairy. Yeah, and for you, it's like trying to be polite and thank you, but if someone gets this wrong for you, this is days of, mm-hmm. like, the worst stomach flu. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, this is not something that, oh, I'm going to be uncomfortable for a little bit. I mean, it's, I'll have the explosive diarrhea, but then I'll have cramps and gas Sometimes up to a week later. Which people who have never had, like, the gas pains, that can be on, on level of a heart attack. Like, it, people yes. have, like, mistaken heart attacks for this. Yes. And it's, it, it just, it feels like sometimes someone kicked me in the gut. Because it's just, um, two days ago. I, I still don't know what I ate that set it off. I have no clue what I ate that set it off. But two days ago, the guys were like, is there something wrong with you? Because I... And I'm sorry again for disgusting anybody. <laughs> um, a literally 30-second fart. Wow. It just kept going and kept going and kept going. And I had three of them in one evening. That's a lot of gas. <laughs> I, 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 that's impressive. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not even exaggerating with that because... The first one, I thought, God, that was long. So when the second one happened, I felt like I, I you know, I knew it was going to happen because I could feel the pressure building and there was no way to stop it at that point. So I actually I had my watch on. I actually flippin' timed it. because <laughs> I don't I, think the Apple Watch people ever thought that's how this would get used. <laughs> for real. For real. So I actually timed out how long, and I'm like, oh my God, that was, it was 28 seconds that I just was one constant, it never stopped. That's shocking. And so to have three of those in one evening... 
tells you, you know, and that wasn't the only time I had gas over the, that several days of having it, but three in one evening like that tells you how much gas was inside my body. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure people find the humor in like the parts that's, that when you're eight, that's everything. It's, but it's what I don't think anyone who doesn't have something like this would understand or think about is that keeps you from doing any of the things you were going to do for those days. You can't necessarily go out to the movies or if you have tickets to something or yeah, it's been, a work meeting that would make it hard. It's been very interesting. There's been more than once that like when I was working in the city that I got up and left meetings to go to the bathroom just to pass gas. Yeah. Just because, you know, I knew that it was building, there was no way to stop it because once it reaches a certain amount, it hurts so bad that if I don't get it out of my system, it feels like, you know, what I imagine people say women's menstrual cramps are because it's just everything hurts. And I'm saying what they what I imagine. I have no clue. So <laughs> It's fair. At least you're trying to imagine. I appreciate that. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to imagine. <laughs> no, I wish no. I didn't have this Woman frame of reference. I appreciate some here, just a little bit. <laughs> I just wish I didn't have this frame of reference. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it hurts so bad that it's just my entire abdomen feels like because um, I was talking to a, someone about this that your abdomen, your, your, uh, intestines only really have, um, sensors for when they're being stretched, like if you've eaten too much, whatever. And if you push them far enough that they're actually hurting like that, they have to be stretched. They have a lot of elasticity. So if you're stretching them enough that they actually hurt, you know, you're stretching them quite a bit. So that tells me how stretched out they have to be for the level of pain because it's, you know, as evidenced by how long those hearts were. It's not just one little section that's bulging. It's everything. Wow. So for you, how do you choose who to tell about your invisibleness, or do you just live out loud? I well, I don't usually talk about it unless it's in a situation where it come up comes up. Like I'm eating out. I'm eating at someone's house. I'll mention the dairy allergy. I try not to mention the um, the foot problems and knee problems unless. There's talk of, oh, we're going to be standing around a lot. Oh, we're going to go on this long walk. Oh, we're, you know, um, I had a friend that I had to have a long conversation about this with because um, we had met for lunch in the Castro. And I had bartered into the city and then munied up to the Castro. And he's like, hey, let's walk back to my place. And it's like in, oh, God, I forget what, I don't know the city neighborhoods well enough. But, you know, it was like. Um, that far. Close to Twin Peaks. And it's like, on the far side of Twin Peaks, rather. I don't know what the name of it is. So, you know, not really that close and up over a hill. And I'm like, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I said, you know, we can take bus. I'll, I'll even pay for an Uber if you want to do that. But I can't walk that far. So it was like, well, why not? And then I have to try and, like, do I, how deep I, do I go into this with my foot problems? What, what do I... I finally just said I have foot and knee problems that I can't walk that far. Otherwise, I won't be able to get home. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, right. you know, this is something with going into the city that's a particular challenge for me. Because I have the foot and knee problems, you know, when I try and head home from the city, like I go into every Thursday, I go in every other Thursday for my therapist, I go in to see friends. But when I come home, 
I have one of two problems. Either I can't find a seat, so I have to stand the entire way, which is standing on shifting ground because it's BART and it mm -hmm. moves. Or if I do sit down, I tend to sit in the disabled seats because I can stretch my leg out. And being a guy who doesn't look like there's anything wrong with me, I get death glares. Yep. I sat down next to one lady, an older woman, what was it, three weeks ago? Three or four weeks ago. I sat down to an old, next to an older woman, and she turned, looked at me, gave me the nastiest look, and said, what the fuck do you think you're doing? This is for disabled people. I said, and I happen to be disabled. Thank you. It's amazing how not gentle and kind people are and the assumption level of yeah. what disabled looks like. Mm -hmm. And somehow we're all supposed to conform to... Which is something I saw about the disabled symbol of the person in the wheelchair, which I now understand is also supposed to like represent cane too, but people see that. And they only think, you know, someone who's in a wheelchair, they only think, yeah. And it's really unfortunate that people feel the need to speak and pass an opinion before asking a question. Well, I mean... If that's and, even and their business. <laughs> it, I, I understand it and I don't understand it. Because on the one hand, I, I understand, like, if it's a situation where I'm sitting there and say there's someone who has a very obvious physical disability gets on and I don't get up, where they would question it. Mm -hmm. But in a case where... It's a seat, and it says you have to vacate them for people with disabilities. It doesn't say they're only for the people with disabilities. So even if, you know, as long as there was nobody else that needed to sit down, if I was sitting there, it would not be an issue. So in that case, piss off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I can see questioning someone where it looks like they're able-bodied, and you have someone that, say, maybe is on crutches that's standing. Mm -hmm. I can totally see questioning someone, and I can say, I'm sorry, I really do have a disability. You know, can you please ask someone else? Um, or someone who doesn't have a placard who parks in a disabled spot and then hops out and runs in, you know, and obviously fairly, you know, non-disabled, but they're parking in a disabled spot. Calling that into question. Um, sadly, and this is why I think this is an issue in our society, is I know two people in my life that I know who have a spare sign from their grandparents that they put on their car so they can park in disabled spots, though they are not disabled. Oh. <laughs> and they and I have had many, many conversations about why this is not okay. Because they are the ones that make everybody think that people that have, like us, indiv indiv invisible disabilities are faking it. Well, there's also the issue of, like, if I'm using my wheelchair... If I don't get that disabled spot, I have no safe way to get on the, the mm -hmm. parking, or onto, sorry, onto the sidewalk. Right. If I have to park anywhere but in the disabled spot, those spots are there because they have a ramp leading up into, and if I have to park somewhere else, I have to go behind park cars that are pulling out. Mm -hmm. And if they do that, they're putting people's yes. lives in danger. <laughs> but I, I, I honestly believe that that's the reason why in our society we have such a problem with people not believing someone when they say they have a disability. is because... Like I said, I know two people in my life that fake it mm -hmm. to get the disabled spot, to get preferential treatment. See, I just feel like this fang's growing when I hear things like Oh, yeah. <laughs> my aunt, my mom's sister, has faked having 
uh, fibromyalgia, I think she said. Oh, oh no. For her, for, since she was in her 20s. And the thing is... That's is one that, of the hardest diseases to get people to take seriously. Mm-hmm. Because she... I've watched her do things that I know full well she could not pull off. Days on end. Not just like, oh, she had a good day. But like, days on end doing things. And she does it because she gets disability. That's frustrating because for me to get disability was such a... It was physically and emotionally and time-wise exhausting. Without my mother's help, I could never have gotten through the paperwork. And I've never bothered because of the the added hassle of it. I haven't... You know, my doctor told me that, honestly, with my foot and ankle problems, and well, foot, ankle, and knee problems, that I could get a dis- disabled placard pretty easily. And I have resisted it because my point of view... If I always park up close, I'm not walking as far. I want to walk further to try and keep, you know, stay active, get the weight off, stuff like this. So I don't go for it because I don't want the easy way out. So, you know, opposites. So do you have any other questions that I've missed? Is there anything you would like people in Healthy World to know? Um, and again, I answered those on there. And now you I can't did. Remember. That's why I'm asking you in I person. I can't remember what I wrote. <laughs> but you can, you can just go on the fly. And I can't just... remember what I wrote, though. I mean, I had something really good that I thought of when I wrote it, and now you I can't remember. You do, but that's why I have people, like, write this and then come in and talk, because sometimes new things come up, and it's different when you talk about things than when you yeah. write them down. Well, and I'm, my brain's on, off on all the other things we've been talking about. And we've I, been I, talking about a lot. We really have, have yes. blown through it. I can go to an easier one, which is, what is your favorite swear word? Oh, either fucker, motherfucker. Very easily on that one. Yeah, it's it, that has been the consistent. And it's fuck is my favorite swear word. It's so versatile. Yeah. Lately, unfortunately, I have picked up a bad habit of saying a different one that I won't say in public. That's okay. It, I think I know which one, and there have been so many people in the world lately that sort of embody that one. Yes. I, and I agree with you. It's not one I like to use either, but there have been a few people. It's been hard to resist. Yes. Um. Okay, then our last question would be, what is your favorite coping mechanism? How do you handle things when it's just beyond? Um, I try, for my foot problems, I try and get a massage once a week to just help with the pain. Um, I cope by more often than not pushing through it, which I shouldn't. I should ask for help more, but I push through it. I don't. I don't ask for help a lot of times when I should, and I know this, and it's, and I mentioned it in there that um, I was watching a nature show the other night, and it talked about how animals in the wild don't like to show um, when they're hurt because then other animals will prey on them, and I said, I really wonder if that's tied up to why people with invisible disabilities, people with physical disabilities that are visible don't have an option to not have people see it. But people with invisible disabilities, almost to a person that I've met, always hide it. Because, and I wonder if it's part of this biological thing we have, don't show weakness, don't show weakness. Because people will, you know, attack you for it. Or people will, you know, hurt you because you're weak or whatever. Especially as a man, I feel that. Well, on that amazing note, and that summed up. A lot. <laughs> I am gonna say thank you so much for taking this time and chatting with me. We get to talk a lot, but I don't think we really have uh, talked about this before. Yeah. So thank you for for coming all the way over here and chatting with me. No worries. Glad to.